Hi, everybody. Gosh, it's been a while, hasn't it? Uh, I would offer explanations for that, but they would just sound like excuses. Trust me, there were legitimate reasons why I was away from the mic. Um, also, none, nothing to be concerned about. Uh, mostly good reasons, uh, uh, and I'm, I'm trying to keep myself from diving into explanations right now. Um, they would just bore you, honestly, but... Uh, I'm glad to be back, and I've got a lot to talk about. I've got so many zines racked up to, to that I've read that I want to tell you about uh, that I'm going to do a couple today. The first thing, though, I wanted to talk about was a new Kickstarter that just launched, and I don't really like to push Kickstarters too much because goodness knows you've already got enough people telling you how to spend your money. Um, I just want to mention this one, though, because it relates to an earlier podcast. So... There is uh, the new Kickstarter is called uh, Through the Valley of the Manticore, an old school fantasy adventure. And I mention it because it's by the same gentleman who did In the Shadow of Tower Silverax, which I talked about on a previous episode. A very high quality production, uh, definitely quick delivery. So it's a Kickstarter you can trust, and I think you'll be happy with the result. I have, uh, I, if you go back and listen to that episode, there, there were good things and, and um, maybe some things that weren't as strong. Nothing bad about that Kickstarter, but... Uh, I ultimately decided it was one that I would keep. That's a lot of the zines I kind of cycle through and hand them off to friends that they're not anything I think I'll ever use again or don't have a, you know, inspirational uh, rack of artwork or something that I want to keep. But this is one I decided I would keep on my shelf. It was akin to like a B2 style module, meaning it had a lot of legs for long-term play, would be a decent way to start a campaign. So this Jacob Fleming, he's doing a second book. Um, it's called Through the Valley of the Manticore. And let's see, so he's both the artist and the writer. And here's his description. I'm gonna read it off the Kickstarter page. In the desolate and forbidding canyon lands, her Lorer Canyon is home to only the bravest and most hardy. The road that leads through it is the only way to navigate this dangerous wilderness. Travelers and merchants alike must face the canyon so that trade and commerce between city-states can carry on. Much depends on the road remaining open and unimpeded. unimpeded. Fort Davelmag, the only safe refuge in the canyon land, stands as a beacon for weary travelers and a testament to the will of the lawful. Once a military fortification built to hold off the advancing forces of chaos, now a way station for merchants and caravans with a small detachment loyal to the crown stationed here. Now the residents of the fort face a far more devious threat than the harsh environment or hungry beasts. So, uh, well, actually, I'm going to read one more paragraph. Sorry. Through the Valley of the Manticore has players traverse winding sandstone slot canyons and explore natural cave systems rumored to contain hidden relics of immense value and magical power. Sooner or later, they may realize they are mere pawns in a game being played by an unnaturally intelligent monster. They will need cunning as well as strength in order to overcome this bizarre and terrifying tale. So, again, I feel like this is one of those kind of sandbox books that you're going to get where you could use it as the start for an adventure or as material for quite a few sessions. Totally probably worth the, the backing. I think it's $8 in PDF and $15 in print plus PDF. So very, very reasonable, I think, for a zine. This is kind of where zines come in. Um, you can always argue like you can almost uh, go buy a, a, you know, a supplement, you know, like a paperback uh, supplement or something for that kind of price. But uh, I think it's I would never call $15 throwaway money, but um, I, I'm not worried about like for me, that's the kind of money I can venture on a zine 
um, that I think looks really good and not feel too bad if it comes in and it's it's not something I want to keep. Now, this one I do expect to keep. And like I said, I, I think the art was really good in the last one. So we know the art will be good in this one. It's the same guy. I don't think there's going to be any problems with delivery because when you're the artist and writer, um, other than your own, you know, he's delivered before, let's put it that way, and he doesn't have a lot of dependencies. There's not a lot of people that are involved in the project. So it's much more likely to get through fairly quickly. So I'll, 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 uh, I'll recommend that one and say that if you liked uh, in the Tower of Silver Axe or if you were curious about that, um, you should back this one. And if you back this one, you can actually go ahead and get the copy, the print copy of Silver Axe as well, which is very nicely done. So um, yeah, so it's definitely one to look at, right? You can bundle the two together and get, get a copy of both. Okay, so that's that. Uh, the next zine that I want to talk about is called Not a Place of Honor. Before I get to Not a Place of Honor, though, I should mention that uh, Cody Mazza of the No Save for You podcast recently called in and asked me to make sure that I announce uh, the format of each of these zines. I think I have so far announced that on every one or, or uh, explained the format, but I'll make sure that I'm careful to do that because I do know, for me, one of the most important things about a zine is what, what format it's in, and that sounds silly but uh, maybe zines, it's a little more predictable, <laughs> which is odd to say. But I've backed some hardback books that have come in and have been so freaking large that they don't fit on my shelf or in landscape format or something like that that I don't care for. And that's fine. That's an artistic choice. But um, it's also fine for me as a consumer to decide to bow out for that reason alone. And sometimes I do. So I will mention that uh, Shadow, of the Tower, Shadow of Tower Silver Axe and Valley of the Manticore are both digest sized, meaning if you took a piece of US letter paper and laid it horizontally in landscape mode and then folded it over once from left to right, you would have this piece of, uh, you would have this booklet, if you will, that is roughly the size of the classic moleskin journal or most uh, a little bigger than most diaries. Um, right, just a journal or digest sized, a, a nice hand size. I think for me that's the perfect size because it's a good combination between portability and something that doesn't take up a lot of table space, but yet still has enough uh, real estate on each page to present a reasonable amount of, amount of text and some interesting art. So digest sized. And the next one I'm going to talk about is also digest sized. It is called Not a Place of Honor by... Uh, David Lombardo and Emmanuel Mello, who did, uh, they did the art, the writing, and the layout of this zine. There's also credited a Gary Sevenson, who did an MP3 soundtrack that came with the Kickstarter, which is awesome. Uh, it's kind of electronic music that conveys the mood uh, and is structured the same as the zine, which will, that'll make more sense as I get into this. There's also uh, credited Alicia Gareppi and Brian Stouffer, who were there for research and consulting purposes and editing and things like that. Okay, so I got this through ZineQuest 2021 on Kickstarter. I got it as a print and PDF for $12. Technically that's print plus PDF plus uh, MP3 soundtrack. So a total bargain, <laughs> total bargain. Like for me, that's like amazing. Um, let alone from the fact that I actually think the zine is, is worth owning and, and uh, de depending on your needs as, as a gamer. Uh, so uh, I'll, I'll explain that. But mostly it's, it's kind of more, it's not a pick up and play adventure. Um, it's more of 
an idea. It could be that, but you're gonna have to do a little bit of work. So it's more for a GM, uh, more as an idea generator for scenarios, that kind of thing. Okay. So digest sized, full color throughout, including the interior pages. The color is used judiciously in a way to kind of evoke this very uh, sober subject. Um, it's glossy stock with heavy cardstock cover, 36 pages, not numbered, and that includes the covers. The artwork is uneven, but intentionally so. Uh, there's basically three types of styles in here. There is uh, a style that looks like photographs that have been dithered down into pure black and white with lots of grain to them to represent these uh, landscapes. And then there are illustrations, typical like black and white fantasy illustrations of objects that you might find buried at these sites. And then there is there are these little, um, I hesitate to call them comics, but that's kind of what they are. They're like wordless comics that uh, depict a um, little more than stick figures in situations and are trying to communicate to the uh, the person visiting one of these sites something about the danger that lies there. So if you were just to pick up the zine and kind of flip through, you might see some of that artwork and go, eh, you know, um, what's what the hell is this? Uh, but it's designed that way, right? Uh, and uh, it's it's kind of important to know that why the art so dramatically changes from one piece to the next. Um, that helps you, I think, understand. It's also as a piece of work designed as an artifact from the world. So I think there's a word for that. Is it diegetic? I think that's the word, where information is presented as if it comes from the fictional environment that it's presenting, right? I don't know if I got that right. You can tell me, uh, somebody out there can tell me if I'm wrong, I'm not a super theory guy, uh, despite, uh, I have a PhD in composition and rhetoric, so you'd think I would be all about that stuff. But when it comes to gaming, I like to kind of keep it uh, down to what's useful and playable and interesting and, and get less into the uh, terminology that I think can sometimes be a little, uh, I don't know, uh, like buzzwords and gatekeeping and stuff like that. So, okay, uh, not, not to, there's a positive side to that too, but I just kind of stay away from it for, because it has a negative side. Mm, I'm rambling. Okay, <laughs> let me back up and say that uh, I just got finished talking about the uneven artwork. I haven't even told you what the zine is really about, although you may have inferred it by this point. Uh, not a place of honor is a phrase that comes from an area of study that I think first started out as like a research paper or research papers and then developed into some articles that went around a couple of years ago, maybe maybe a year and a half ago, um, gained some kind of popular circulation. And it's this idea of what do we do about the super dangerous places that we create that we're leaving behind for not just the immediate next couple of generations, but for thousands and thousands of years into the future, okay? The most obvious of these is nuclear waste, but it's not the only kind of toxic environment that we're leaving behind. Um, all these kind of recycled heavy metals and, and you know lithium batteries and all that kind of stuff are, are toxic. So how do we, if we're gonna bury this stuff somewhere in the middle of the desert or whatever, how do we even know, first of all, what that environment's gonna be like in the future? Um, deserts turn into arable cropland and arable cropland turns into deserts over millennia, right? So um, we're, we're burying them in a place we think is quote unquote safe, but we're talking about so far into the future that if you were to go an equal amount of distance into the past, it would be like trying to communicate to Neanderthals, um, right? So we don't know if, if these people in the future will even speak English. We don't know if they'll even be, um, you know, 
homo sapien in the way that we are, right? They could be dramatically different. So how do we communicate that this site is dangerous and uh, unhealthy and potentially uh, very destructive, right? So the author has taken this idea and taken it across a little bit into fantasy as well and said like, you know, what if, what if a, uh, an ancient civilization buried a relic, right? One of the classic examples of this is Lord of the Rings and how the ring itself is, uh, you know, an artifact that is extremely dangerous that kind of warps the nature of reality. And um, there's a history to it, right? Um, where it was made and how it was, uh, you know, captured and then lost and then, you know, and what the ultimately is the best thing to do with it, but it's a toxic, it's a toxic, toxic relic, right? And so this, this zine is about that, is about creating these kinds of sites. There, you could sort of pick it up and generate a site from it, but I, I would hesitate to say that it's, it's ready to play because it doesn't have a system or anything like that. It's just, uh, it describes the, pieces or the, the, the sections, if you will, of a site like this, and then uh, gives you some generation tables to mix and match them. So let's get into that. Uh, the, I mentioned that the, that the zine is uh, sort of an in-fiction artifact. It's supposedly created by this organization called the Bureau for Arcane Neutralization of Esoterics, or BANE. Uh, and it mostly maintains this tone as in like notes from this uh, about these sites from a, a culture that investigates them and tries to subdue them or, or uh, neutralize them. Uh, the sites are approached uh, are described by kind of three big elements, the approach, the keep and the sarcophagus, right? So the approach is the miles and miles around a site. Think if you were in Planet of the Apes, there's those kind of that barrier that marks the forbidden zone that's done with these uh, wooden X's with like skulls and stuff posted on them. So anything over that line would be the forbidden zone and that's the, that's the approach. So as you walk up to this site or as you travel up to this site, what does the approach look like? And then there's the keep, which is the site itself. You know, well, how do you know when you've reached the center? What does the center look like? And then the sarcophagus is the actual containment vessel around the artifact. So uh, the sarcophagus and the artifact, you could kind of use those interchangeably because uh, as we generate these pieces, really you're generating an approach and there's three of those that you can choose from. There's a keep and there's three of those that you can choose from. And then there are, I think, eight artifacts in their containing sarcophagi. So um, that makes for 72 possible combinations from those 14 unique elements. And if you're gonna develop completely unique ones, you could get three, right, before you start reusing one of the, one of the elements. Okay, um, I'll give you an example, and we'll, we'll actually create one together uh, from the book and read through the pieces that create that site, just to give you a full example. So we're gonna use one called, uh, the approach is gonna be rubble, the keep is gonna be thorns, and the sarcophagus and relic are the malevolent ring, okay? So let me pull up the zine and uh, read these to you. So on the approach, rubble landscape. This is approach type two. With no imposing structures or obvious coloration, I almost failed to recognize this approach for what it was. It wasn't until I was upon it that the sheer ruination of the landscape became obvious. Past a strange mode of dry sand is a huge field of stone and rubble only marginally higher than the terrain around it. 
Crossing the landscape is treacherous with uneven footing and rocks that threaten to shift at the slightest touch. The level one information here is carved in various sizes into seemingly random chunks of debris. Several times I found myself unexpectedly face to face with dire warnings after a near fall. Now you heard me mention level one information. The book kind of characterizes different levels of information and level one being the kind of most um, abstract and uh, least sort of verbal uh, type of communication, like it's hints. Uh, and warnings, but then as you get closer, you get level three, four, five information that is more specific. Okay, so that's the approach, and then we are going to the keep, which is we're going to use uh, keep type one, landscape of thorns. The keep is a dense and tangled mess of sharp thorns and spikes, looking nothing so much like a petrified, lifeless jungle. Traversing this jungle is difficult, and visibility is poor, so it shares that much with its living counterparts. I tell myself these structures have stood for millennia, but some part of me is convinced the spires will collapse onto my head at any moment. The occasional broken stump doesn't help this feeling, although their flat surfaces are carved with level two information, so they must have been like that from the start. Okay, so we pass this field of rubble. Um, we're at the center where there's been this like these giant spikes sticking up out of the earth, some of which look like they're broken off, but actually were made that way uh, because they have information carved into the, the ring where the tree rings would be if it were like a tree. Okay, and then we get to the relic and we are using the malevolent ring. Now, um, I will mention that there's an appendix in, in the back of this, there's like an appendix O, I think they call it, where um, it's like like the appendix N from uh, D and D's uh, Dungeon Master Guide from 1978, and it's it's listing inspirational sources uh, for each of the artifacts that are represented in this book. But one of the cool things about it is uh, it's kind of fun to read these and try to guess what the what this thing is right like what piece of literature it's drawn from because the art the author has really put put his own twist on these such that maybe they're not always super recognizable you'll probably know what this one is but we'll we'll um uh, we'll read through it so level and this one's organized by information type so level two information stored within this place is a dangerous tool a ring which promises great power but is a bridge to an evil spirit do not use the ring its gifts are tainted and you will unleash a great evil Level three information. Item, the malevolent ring is a conduit to an extremely powerful outsider entity referred to as the dark spirit. Wearing the ring greatly enhances the user's innate abilities and amplifying their natural strengths to extreme degrees. Doing so also prov provides a direct path for the dark spirit to influence the ring wearer. After a sufficient time, this influence will reshape the wearer's mind into a sufficiently close image of the dark spirits that the entity is able to cross over and supplant the user stealing their body. Containment. The containment chamber is filled with a series of metal rods rising from floor to ceiling. The, patterns of the, uh, the pattern of the rods is deliberately chaotic so as to disrupt any buildup of spiritual energy that the dark spirit could influence. The rods are made of an iron alloy as strong as possible while still having sufficient iron content to make it an anathema to spirits. One rod near the center of the room has a tapered middle around which the ring is held. And then we have level four information as a summary. Several incomplete postulates for the exact ritual and forging process that originally created the ring are presented. Historical records for prior instances of the dark spirit fully actualizing within a ring wearer. Details of the spirit diffusing pattern of rods as well as the metallurgical process to create the high strength spirit bane metal. So this would be information that you would gradually reveal to players based on how 
um, how well they navigate this and, and how closely they look at things and maybe based on die rolls uh, to see you know how much of this information they get. But they probably wouldn't get all of it. One of the cool things about this book is, is at the end they have a, a table for the degradation of information. So you, 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 how much of the information survives, right? This, uh, the eons or millennia or however many years between the, the containing of this artifact and the race that is, or the people that are finding it. Um, so as the GM, you're, you're free to confuse and uh, um, <laughs> omit pieces of this information that, uh, you know, that make it hard for them to figure out exactly what to do with it and make it a challenge, if you will. Okay, so uh, in case you didn't guess, that was uh, a take on the One Ring from Lord of the Rings, which I mentioned earlier. So there are there are a couple different artifacts, although the, it's drawn, it's got a cool drawing. It's like a little ring with like a strange, uh, almost like baby-like face on where the where the stone would be, and little gems for eyes. It reminds me of the faces from um, La, La Planète Sauvage, which uh, this the, what's it called, the Strange Planet, the. Oh, the, I can't remember the name, the English title of it, but it's a cartoon from the 70s, uh, 60s and 70s, um, an animated movie that's just like super awesome and bizarre uh, about these giant blue alien-like beings that keep humans as pets on, a, on another world. Um, I'll try to put a link to that in the show notes if I remember. But at any rate, the, <laughs> all that was just to say that is this very blank-looking, expressionless, weird baby face uh, that's, that's quite disturbing. Uh, and there's also a little bit of scrap of in-world in fiction here. So it says, The containment chamber for the malevolent ring is filled with a dense, unorganized cluster of metal rods. Near the outer edges of the room, the rods are spaced far enough apart for me to easily squeeze through, but closer to the center, the spacing becomes tighter and tighter. I must have gotten distracted while picking my way through, as I suddenly my, found myself grasping the ring. I hadn't even realized I'd gotten so close to it. The strange, empty stare of the... Cut, cut Jim eyes seemed both alien and alluring. Before I had the chance to do anything further, although I don't even know how I'd begin to remove the ring from the rod, I forced myself to let go and vacated the room as quickly as possible. So there's another bit of that kind of like in, in fiction, um, you know, artifact nature of this thing. Uh, and the layout is done in like some of it's in handwriting, some of it's in type uh, to help distinguish between the in fiction and out of fiction stuff. Um, uh, the pages are kind of laid out almost like they are, um, like you've opened a dossier and laid out different artifacts, different pieces of paper, illustrations, maps, texts, and uh, you know they're laying there on the desktop, which is super cool. Okay, all in all, a great little zine. Um, what else to say about it? I, like I said, I, I think it's really made for people who want to get ideas, uh, mostly game masters who want to get ideas for how to, how to create a different type of scenario than maybe what you normally create. As such, I think it's really great. Uh, it'll definitely go on my shelf and stay there. And um, yeah, it's quite a work. I, I really love I really love single creator visions, but I especially love it when you get two or three creators who create something as if it's a single creator vision, meaning they meld together so well that each complements the other in a way that doesn't, um, it doesn't, uh, 
dilute. It doesn't dilute the, the force of the content, right? Like a lot of design by committee turns things into a melting pot or a tasteless mush. But when you get two or three people who are kind of in the same, you know, on the same wavelength, you can get a really powerful product. And I think that's what you've got here. Um, I was tempted to play the music in the background as I did this, the kind of foreboding music provided by um, the contributor uh, Sevenson. Uh, but uh, I didn't do that for whatever reason. I wasn't sure the mic would pick it, pick it up for one thing. So Lombardo, Mello, Sevenson, I commend you guys. That Very good. Um, and if you could pick this up, I would. I'm not really sure where you can get it now post-Kickstarter. If you Google it, though, uh, I'm sure you can find uh, some references to it. I believe it's available on DriveThruRPG uh, as a PDF download. And um, I'll do my best to find a link for you and stick it in the show notes. I, I don't want to be clacking away on the keyboard as I'm talking to you. But that's, yeah, not a place of honor. And honestly, uh, I've talked enough today that maybe I'll stop there and uh, divide the other zines that I've got here in a stack into other podcasts. So I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank you people who have called in. I've got a show set up in the future. Um, near future where I'm going to go through some of those call-ins. Uh, had a really touching email from um, a new, newish listener that I got the other day that basically, um, I'm trying to bring this up here, remember the, the fellow's name, uh, of course. Sorry, this is uh, gripping gripping audio, I know. Um, so Dennis, uh, Dennis Gaines, uh, and he had asked me a question about tools for fiction writers and I want to talk about that in a little bit of depth but he says uh, I hope my re most recent question about creative writing and RPGs didn't stifle you too much and you're doing well I just wanted to let you know since you answered my last question about combat rules and combat and rules light systems I have debuted as a GM using sorcerers and cell swords it made me feel comfortable I added some oracle tables and some perilous wild stuff but I finally made the transition from being a player to being a GM Listening to Plundergrounds is what convinced me I could, could, and your hack of lasers and feelings was the framework. I am usually a player in a 5e campaign, and you gave me the confidence to GM. Attached is a picture of my usual GM in an SNS game I drew up. Uh, he feels like he's finally he feels like finally there's a new GM alongside his tireless efforts. So just saying, thank you, uh, Dennis. Man, wow! That I love these things are uh, so amazing to me when I get them, especially when I get like an artifact of people playing uh, one of my games at the table. Um, I used to get every now and then get photographs of people and I wouldn't even know that they downloaded it right. I get my stuff out for free so I don't always make a personal connection with people when they download my stuff. Um, and those that do make a personal connection with me, I always feel guilty that I don't spend more time you know, talking back and forth with those people uh, because it's just like, it's such a, it's a personal thing for me, obviously. And I, I don't do it for the money. I do it because I have these creative urges and I just want to, I'm restless, right? I want to do something and I have this idea and I want to see it through to the end. And part of it for me is the execution, like trying to make this idea work and testing it so that it does work and putting it together in a way that communicates with artwork that's appropriate and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and that, that is a, healing mental exercise for me um, and I'm at my happiest when I'm creating and so I do these things primarily for that reason but I I very much think about 
how they're going to affect the end user and how playable they are. I don't want to just slap something together that makes me happy and then throw it out there and have people have a bad experience with it. So it's it's um, it's it's really great to get that affirmation from people that they've taken something that I put out there and had some fun with it. And that's all that's all I ever ask from these things, right? Like that's all I ever want for people is to is to have some fun with something and uh, to experience something a little different maybe than what they're normally used to. Five E is a great game. I would. Never, um, would never cast aspersions at that game or any edition of D&D, really. I have my own favorites uh, and on my own favorite non-D&D games, but I believe that there's all kinds of room in the hobby for a breadth and depth of RPGs uh, and experiencing different things. And I think if you only ever experience one thing, um, if you're having fun, good on you. But uh, you know you're you're missing out a little bit. It, like pizza is amazing, but if you only eat pizza, uh, you know for the rest of your life and never get tired of it, I'm I'm amazed by you and happy for you. But you're also missing out on uh, you know hamburgers or uh, vegetarian lasagna or whatever, <laughs> whatever else that you, you ice cream. Who knows? Uh, all these all these different things that you're missing out on. So. Yeah, super cool. Thank you all for listening. Glad to be back. Hopefully I'll be more regular. A lot of this has to do with my life patterns and you know how COVID is. It like, you know, messes everything up anyway. And like, are we coming into work? Are we not coming into work? Um, I will, since we're at the end of the podcast, let you know the reason I was out for a month was uh, first and foremost, because my wife had some minor surgery, nothing serious, but she had a, a lifting restriction. And so I was doing all the housework as well as my work and playing games and things like that. And I just didn't have time for podcasts or energy. And then uh, we did a little vacation where I was out of touch with wireless. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it was just gone for a while. And uh, I appreciate those of you who have stuck it out over my uh, periods of silence and who still listen. That's, that's awesome. It's, it's really cool. I don't take for granted that I have an audience. Um, there are many times when I've thought about not doing podcasting anymore because there's so many people that just talk and talk and talk and... Um, so many voices out there telling you what to do or what to think. And I don't want to be another one of those voices. I just want to share stuff and have a conversation and, and uh, you know, um, fill your day a little bit with, with something that you like to listen to, things you like to think about. And uh, so I appreciate you. Thanks for listening. And I'll be talking to you again very soon.